me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 this evening. If you've ever been to an art gallery, you appreciate the value of the small placards that are posted next to each piece of, of artwork. And that signage tells you of the title of the piece and the name of the artist and a brief description or explanation of what you're looking at. But better than a small placard would be a a full brochure that would detail and explain the meaning of the art. And even better than that would be a tour guide that could answer your questions. But best of all would be to have the artist himself speak. And the skill and the handiwork of an artist can be seen on a canvas, and we may appreciate that to some degree, but it's only when the artist speaks can we fully and finally understand his mind and his intent in the creation or the crafting of that artwork. And so it is with God. His glory, his greatness, his grandeur can be seen on the canvas of creation. But it's only when God speaks that we fully understand the divine artist and the architect of the universe. See, in the general revelation of God's creation, we learn something. But it's in the specific or the special revelation of the scripture that we understand who God is and what he intends. And in Psalm 19, those two aspects of God's revelation to us really come together. First is the general revelation of his, his glory in the macrocosm of the universe. That's verses one through six. And then is the special or the specific revelation of his mind in the microcosm of the scripture. That's verse seven and, and following. And that division is really reflected in my outline. The notes that I prepared, I've put there in the foyer on the, the table. First, number one, is God's general revelation in his world. God's general revelation in his world. And then number two, is God's special or specific revelation in his word. The general revelation in his world and the specific revelation in his word. And this evening our intent is to celebrate God's glory as revealed in the sky and scripture, in the world and in his word. Let me pause briefly for prayer and then we'll study Psalm 19 together. God in heaven, thank you so much for the moments that we've spent just now remembering our Lord's death on the cross Lord, we're grateful and thankful for the redemption that we have in him through the shedding of his blood, the forgiveness of sins by his grace. And God, now we turn our attention to the Holy Scripture. I pray that you would show us yourself, your glory, your majesty, uh, not just in the general revelation of creation, but in the special revelation of, of your word this evening. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by reading Psalm 19. You have your Bibles open. Psalm 19, verse number one. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the, the earth. Their, the, the expanse of all the earth is is understood their sound and their words to the end of the world. 
God's general revelation in his world. And if you can imagine with me, the shepherd boy David who spent his nights out in the fields caring for his father's sheep. And I have no doubt that he spent hour upon hour meditating on the wonder of God's creation. I would cite Psalm 8 where David wrote, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, and what David saw in creation declared God's praise. That's letter A. God's praise is seen in creation. And it's not only seen, it's declared. The the term declare there in verse number one means more than simply saying or speaking. It means to make prominent. Like John Hancock's signature on the Declaration of Independence. In fact, as you look at a copy of the Declaration of Independence, you can't help but notice your attention is immediately drawn to John Hancock's signature first and foremost. His name pops off the page at you. And that's the case with creation. It's like God's autobiography is boldly declared. On a number of occasions, I've had the opportunity to see the Aurorus Borealis, or the Northern Lights. Have you seen the Northern Lights at some point? I remember the first occasion I was in Bible College in northern Wisconsin and, and saw those, those moving sheets of colored lights in the sky, and then out in Montana, big sky Montana, out in Wyoming, even seeing the Milky Way, that, that ribbon of, of light that stretches across the sky, and, and I've been able to see that glorious creation. We, we call it outer space as if there's nothing out there that it's just empty space, but it's in fact, it's God's handiwork in the heavenly bodies. In verses three and four, David says that the language of creation or the sound of creation makes it, it universally understood. Everyone can see and everyone can understand. It was in his Institutes on the Christian Religion that John Calvin wrote, wherever you cast your eyes, there is no spot in the universe where you cannot discern at least some sparks of his glory. But unfortunately, so many eyes are closed and so many ears are plugged so as not to see or hear how God has revealed his attributes in creation around us. I would cite Romans chapter one. For those who deny the creator, they explain away creation as happening by chance and over the exponential spans of time. And they say it all began with a big bang. And after the big bang, it caused a polywog to jump out of a fishing hole and, and grow legs and become a man. But I assure you, it wasn't goo to you by way of the zoo. It, You are God's creation. He created the heavens and the earth and then he formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Genesis chapter two, verse number seven. And so we are compelled to praise God for his creation. I would have you do something with me just now. Reach for the hymnal that is before you there in the pew back. We're not gonna sing, but I would have you turn to hymn number 560, 560, and allow me just to read some of the lyrics of the hymns of the faith that capture these very truths. Hymn 560, For the Beauty of the Earth. Verse one, for the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies, Lord of all, To thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. Verse number two, for the wonder of each hour of the day and of the night. 
hill and vale and tree and flower, sun and moon and stars of light. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. Turn to hymn four. Hymn four. A hymn that we know well. Of course, how great thou art. Look at verse number two of hymn four. How great thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Turn to hymn 58. Hymn 58. Hymn 58 is, This is my Father's world. Verse number one, this is my father's world and to my listening ears all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. Verse two, this is my father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Because creation declares God's glory and his grandeur and his greatness and he speaks. Psalm 95 verses five and six, the sea is his for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. God's praise is seen in creation. Letter B, God's power is seen or shown in creation. God's power is shown in creation. And God shows his eternal power just as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power in Godhead so that they were are without excuse. And specifically, the power of God can be seen in the path and the penetration of the sun. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Psalm 19, they're the the end of verse number 4. In them, he has set a tabernacle or a tent for the sun, verse 5, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It's rising, that is the sun's rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from the sun's heat. And so David is giving two analogies to describe this power of God in creation, naming the sun and and the first analogy is of a bridegroom, the other is of a warrior or a champion and I haven't given these to you as subpoints, but they could be subpoints one and two there to to God's power is shown in creation. First is the bridegroom in verse 5a. And David portrays the sun's movement across the sky as a bridegroom coming from his bridal chamber after consummating his marriage and the joy and the thrill and the gratification and satisfaction of a newlywed beaming with pleasure of knowing his bride. And so is the sunrise every morning, reminding us of the glory of God. But then also the second image is of a champion. There's the second part of verse number five. And David illustrates a strong man who runs a race and, and the power and the strength is a sight to behold, like a, a horse running across the field with its muscles rippling with grace and beauty. And so is the sun. And since the day of its creation, the sun has arced 
through the sky every day, pointing us to the one who created it, sharing its power, the heat of the sun, so that all feel its, its warmth. And so, take your hymnal again, and let me have you turn again to hymn number four. Hymn number four, How Great Thou Art. Consider God's power as shown in creation. Hymn four, verse number one, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I see the, see the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Turn to hymn 59. Hymn 59. I sing the mighty power of God. This is a hymn by Isaac Watts. I sing the mighty power of God, hymn 59, that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I see the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. Verse two, I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread, if you look down or if you look up, or gaze upon the sky. Verse three, there's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glories known and clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne while all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care and everywhere that man can be, thou, God, art present there. So I would submit to you this morning from Psalm 19, verses one through four, that God's praise is seen in the nights. And then, from verses four through six, that God's power is shown in the day. God's general revelation in his, his word. But now you notice, perhaps in your copy of, of the English Bible, there is a, a break between verses six and seven, a paragraph break, a point of formatting, but that division is not simply a point of formatting. It's also an indication of the, the suspected unity of this psalm. There is considerable discussion in, in scholarly circles as to whether the creation imagery of verses one through six that we've just read fits with the Torah description of verses nine through 11. Now, I accept the unity of this psalm and, and I understand it to simply be a transition from the general revelation of creation, that's his world, verses one through six, to the special revelation of, his, of his, his word, the scripture, in verses seven and following. And This section now contains a series of adjectives. If you're looking at the scripture text, the adjectives describe the character of God's word. So no longer his world, verses one through six, his word now, no longer the sky, but the scripture. And interestingly enough, the, the adjectives that are found here in Psalm 19 are also repeated in Psalm 119. In fact, of the, the six terms associated with the Torah or the scripture here in Psalm 19, five of them occur in the first seven verses of Psalm 119. And, and so companion psalms, if you will, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 in the very same order. But this is number two, God's special revelation or specific revelation in his word. And it begins letter A, God's praise is seen in the scriptures. God's praise is seen in the scripture. Look at verse number seven. The law of the Lord 
Yahweh is perfect converting the soul. This could read the Torah of Yahweh is whole, it's complete, it's without blemish, it's not lacking. And it is this wholeness of the Torah that is the basis of all of the following characteristics or the adjectives that we're about to discover in verse 7. It's trustworthy. Verse 8, it's righteous and radiant. In verse 9, it's certain and righteous. And, and you get the idea. All of these things stemming from that title phrase in verse 7. And, and it converts the soul is what my new King James reads, or it restores the soul is the New American Standard. It revives the soul is the ESV. So I would give you subpoint number one, the law gives life. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul or reviving the soul. Now normally, when we think of law, we, we have a negative sentiment suggesting restriction or limitation, or suppression. But David sees it differently here, and and he says it's perfect, it's complete, it's flawless, and that it actually does something, it gives life. It restores and it revives the soul. If you think of that, that language, restore, it restores the soul. I think it's a reference to a cast sheep or a cast down sheep that's on its back. It cannot get up again by itself, and it's certain to die. But in Psalm 42, David complained, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you on on your back? And then he answers in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. And so the sheep that's on its back is restored when the shepherd comes and rescues it from certain death while it's on its back. But how does God do that? He does that through his word. And I would submit to you that there is no remedy that can substitute for the ministry of the word of God in your life. It gives life. It restores life. And so, in the general revelation of creation, we observe the attributes of our creator who first gave us physical life, but it is in God's word that we find the power to be changed within and to find the source for true life, abundant life, to restore your soul. Look at verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And using a synonym here, the the synonym of the law of the Lord here is the testimony of the Lord. God says, or I'm sorry, David says that God's word is is trustworthy or reliable. It makes wise the simple. And that's subpoint number two. The testimonies give wisdom. The law gives life. The testimonies give wisdom and it's the special revelation of God's word that is trustworthy and firm it never fails it gives wisdom to the simple the Hebrew word there translated simple it could be used to describe I found this fascinating to describe an open door what is it about an open door a simple person is like an open door he's undiscerning not knowing when to shut the door or what to close out. Everything comes in the open door. But that simpleton, that open door, we might say that open mind, can be made wise 
through the testimonies of God's word. It's not an academic education that might earn degrees, but rather it's an understanding of the revelation of God as he has spoken in his word. Psalm 19, I cited Psalm 119. David says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. And what God has spoken in his law gives life. What God has spoken, his testimonies give wisdom. Look at verse number eight. The statutes of the Lord, another synonym, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Number three, the statutes give joy. The statutes give joy. His precepts don't restrict us or restrain us, but they give us joy. I think of the blessed man in Psalm 1. It was the man who delights in the law of the Lord. I think of Psalm 119. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I think of Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found, Jeremiah said, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Verse number eight, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, another parallel synonymous phrase, the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's number four, the commands give direction. God's commands give direction. His precepts or his statutes, his commands are right on, straight as an arrow, sharp as a laser, giving direction for the child of God. And we are not left without a chart or a compass. We are not left without principles for life. We are not left to wander in the fog of human opinion. We are not left without commandments to give us clear sight and clear direction. Verse number nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Number five, the word gives satisfaction. What God has said, what he has spoken gives satisfaction. Now, I confess that at times I have been slouched or slumped on my couch, changing the channels on the TV only to see someone win a lot of undeserved money and a trivial game show. Have you seen that? And I scowl at watching those undeserving people earn, no, win lots of money for themselves. And I think to myself, if I only won a fraction of that money, then I could more than satisfy all of my dreams. But then I counsel myself and I remember how that all the wealth in the world can't ultimately satisfy. That was the testimony of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Rather, David in Psalm 119, a companion psalm, he says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Really? Really, is God's word more precious to you than winning the lottery or the sweepstakes or the game show of material wealth? Verse 10 also, it's, it's not just gold or fine gold in verse 10. It's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. God's word satisfies more than 
sweet food. I confess there are times when I might again be slouched on the couch uh, craving some food. And it might be a late hour at night and, and I need a pizza or a Big Mac or some caffeine or some chocolate. And you know the great thing about being an adult living in America in the 21st century is there is really nothing stopping me from getting a late night snack, right? And so you go to the refrigerator and you open the refrigerator and there's nothing there that satisfies. And so you have to tell your wife, I'm making a quick run out to, you name the place, right? And she says, at this hour of the night, and you say, yes, I just, I have a craving. I need, and you fill in the blank. But, but we know that a cheap snack does not ultimately satisfy but rather it's what God has said to us he has spoken to us the artist and architect of the universe hasn't just given us the canvas but he's spoken his word and that's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb because of these things folks we are compelled to praise God for his word and to love his word but Not only God's praise is seen in the scripture, let her be there, God's power is shown in the scripture and I hope that you can notice the parallelism of subpoints letters A and B under Roman numeral number one with subpoints A and B under Roman numeral number two, his praise and his power. His praise is seen in creation, his power is shown in creation and now his praise is seen in the scripture and his power is shown in the scripture. Look at verses 11 and 12. Moreover by them, that is by your word, your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Number one, the law warns us of danger. God's word, the scripture, what he has spoken The law warns us of danger. And we understand our our homes have fire alarms to warn us of smoke and danger. And emergency vehicles have sirens to warn us of their coming. And fire stations have sirens to sound a tornado warning. And toxic chemicals have warning labels to inform us of their danger. And in the very same way, the scripture warns us. And it warns us of public sins from which we need maybe the most cleansing, but it also warns us of secret and private sins. You see it there in verse number 12. Cleanse me from secret faults that perhaps are hidden or harbored. And the law warns us of that danger. It's not just the stealing and the murder and the adultery, but it's the hidden sins like coveting that leads to stealing or hate that leads to murder, or lust that leads to adultery. And the scripture warns us of that danger. It also, number two, the law drives us to repent. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Now, in the Old Testament law, there was provision made for sins committed in ignorance but for willful sins or presumptuous sins or sins committed with a high hand there was no ceremonial solution it was only the mercy of God that was available to the person who repented and confessed and and that's what David prayed in Psalm 51 he says if you desired sacrifice I would give it that's a small thing I'm the king of Israel 
Because of my sin of adultery and murder, if, if there was some bull or goat or sheep or dove I could sacrifice, that's easy. But David had to th- throw himself on the mercy of God and drove him to repentance. Then we come to verse 14. Your notes are complete. But the psalm concludes now with verse 14. It's a familiar verse. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And and he's concluding by presenting this hymn, this psalm, as a hymn, as a, a song of praise to the Lord. And he links his conclusion, I believe, with the beginning of the psalm. Recognize the repetition of words. You see, verse two is is speech, and now he's he's identifying his own words in verse fourteen. The heavens declare or proclaim or display God's glory and power and wisdom, and the, the Scripture gives testimony to the character of God. But ultimately, it is the redeemed creature of God that can best express praise to God. It's one thing for creation to give credit and glory to the attributes of God. But now David is saying in verse 14, let my words and my heart also speak of your glory. Regarding the general revelation of, of God's world and the special revelation of his word, David wants his words to be acceptable to God. Folks, Psalm 19 is a familiar psalm to us. It's a favorite psalm, perhaps for many. It's, it's easily understood as it's outlined and, and divided, but perhaps we take the glory of God in the sky for granted because we witness it every day. Perhaps we take the glory of God in the scripture for granted because we read it every day. And may we be a people like the psalmist David, who look at the heavens and declare the glory of God. May we be a people who, like David, who look at God's word and we understand its praise and its power. And may our words and our meditations be acceptable as we praise him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your spirit's use of it in our minds and our hearts. God, I pray that you would find us to be a people that praise you for your handiwork and creation and for your revelation to us. You have spoken to us very specifically. You've preserved your word and given it to us so that we might know you. And we're grateful for this. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.